producer Lex, we are back. It's another episode of the Live Free Podcast. What's up, yep. my friend? Doing good, man. Yeah, good. We're um, we haven't re- we haven't recorded anything since the twenty four hour podcast, which yeah, yeah. was a mega three hour episode. Uh, yeah, to support Mister Yuck Nasty. Do I sound okay? Yeah, I sound, sound pretty good. good. Yeah, fantastic. I feel good. Um, I still have a ton of gifts to send out all the people who won. If anyone listens to our show as well. You can be sure that you will be getting gifts. It's just going to take me a little while to get them all out. And I mentioned that on the, the solo episode the other day. Yeah. Uh, it's good to have you back in the uh, the captain's the chair. Yep. The old womb chair. Um, we're going to be switching up our dates soon. you got some work stuff coming up that you're going to have to re- rescheduling. Yeah. I think yeah. we might start recording on Fridays. Yeah. Which gives me a whole weekend to get everything put together, which isn't bad. Yeah. You don't have to... Well, today... Yeah, you have to be. It's you have the data like prep it and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, it's always nice. Um, I am uh, always jujitsu updates. I'm competing this weekend. Oh, you are. Yeah, nice. Uh, I twisted my ankle up last night, which was perfect timing. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm at weight. It's kind of it's weird to actually like be mindful of your weight. Like no, like I'm, I'm right at, I'm like right at where I'm supposed to be. I'm so under where I'm supposed to be. You can have pho or pho. Uh, I think I've had some. I had some pho last week. Okay. I've been eating clean, no sugar drinks. Uh, what else? Um, no, no, yeah, mostly no sugar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything else is pretty clean. I haven't limited myself too much, but I'm right at the weight class. But I'm really concerned that there's going to be heavy dudes that cut weight. Yeah. But that's okay. I mean, I'm right. I'm at a normal walking weight of like 195. Yeah, that's true. And and then jujitsu is a little different, also. Like you can be at at weight and still kind of get through. Yeah. You know? First tournament though, I haven't competed yet. It's the first time competing, so it's going to be exciting. Um, gi or no gi? Gi. Oh. Yeah. No leg locks. No leg lock. Well, you could do or straight no, ankle locks. Whatever. You could do straight ankle locks. Okay, that's about it. No toe holds. I want a baseball bat choke somebody that's the goal that's nice we'll see if that works uh we got kyle ranson on the show today we uh we've never met i've never met him um but we have a bunch of mutual friends we're both showing at the nowheresville gallery this year that was the the group show that just happened was the one that paul put together with all the works of art that he has collected he did a not for sale show so (laughs) everything in the gallery wasn't for sale which is pretty rad um, so I'm look. That's it. <laughs> Kyle has some really interesting work, so I'm really I'm I'm interested to get to know him a little bit and see if we can uh, dig into his psyche. He has some uh, his paintings have uh, like a feeling of uncomfortableness to me, which yeah, you yeah. know that I love, of course. It's always um, it's always good to get out of your con- comfort zone. Yeah, especially in art where everything's supposed to be all pretty and shit. Yeah. So uh, we'll we'll talk to him about that. I guess um, we could just jump right into this thing. Yep. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Let's, let's give Kyle a call. Hmm, it stopped doing the ringing. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Excuse me, Skype. Hello? Mr. Kyle Ranson, what's up, my friend? Hi, how are you? I'm good, man. It's um, it's good to have you on the show. We've uh, we've been talking over the past week or so. Um, I've uh, I've been familiar with your work for a long time. 
and like thinking back, like trying to figure out where I first saw it, I want to say that fecalface.com was probably the first time I saw your work, which I was thinking about. It, it's like it's such a crazy, vast community now from when Fecal Face started a long time ago. Uh, like I, I was thinking about how many artists I became familiar with via that site prior to social media and, you know, a lot of like internet, you know, art blogs and that sort of shit. Right. Yeah. Like I, I noticed with it that, um, my first introduction to fecal face was just seeing the stickers everywhere in the city. It would just say (laughs) fecalface.com. And I thought it was funny. Yeah. And, uh, I had no idea what it was. And then, and then God, it was a long time ago. Um, but John contacted me and I was like, and I remember he was like, do you want to do an interview? And I was like, I don't know about all this internet business, but you know, I'll, I'll take a chance. And, uh, and it's proven to be it. Like it was a, a good choice. And yes, I agree that like so much stuff is spring out of that. Yeah. I, I think it's almost like the guy deserves a trophy or a medal or something. I think like there's a lot of, like a lot of young artists who he created a sort of library for almost to a certain extent maybe inadvertently i'm sure and what i like about him too is like i don't like everything he puts on there but i like his attitude and it's like it i don't know it gives a new way of looking at things too where you're like oh maybe i'm being close-minded about that or uh, you know like or it's like also a matter of taste at times but i've never i've never felt bad about anything i've ever done with them it's always been it was always the right decision so, uh, did you? Are you originally from the Bay Area? I, I know that that's where I began seeing your work. So, did, did you move there from somewhere else? Yeah, I moved there in 1994. Uh huh. From and uh, I mean, I'd been going to visit from Baltimore. Okay. I mean, I'm, I grew up in New York and Connecticut, but I uh, went to school in Baltimore and then dropped out right. next to immediately. And uh, in high school, but I lived there for about. Say it again. Did you drop out in high school? No, I dropped out of uh, Micah. I went to a uh, art school in Baltimore. Oh, okay. And then, um, yeah, I probably went. I went to school for about a year or so, a year and a half, and then I just dropped out and I stayed in Baltimore because there was such a great art scene there. I loved it. What? Well, if we jump back a little bit, was there what? What sort of was the precursor? Were you were you making art from a young age? Did you have ambitions of being an artist? Uh, obviously, going to art school, you had some sort of idea beforehand. Is it? I mean, I, w- I that seemed like a no-brainer to me. I mean, I've been I've been a painter my whole life, you know. Like so, and I just wanted to get the fuck out of the house. So, you know, growing <laughs> up and being in the woods in Connecticut was had. Re- I mean, it was a great place to be a little kid. It was awesome, but as a teenager, uh, you know, as a teenager, it was a little dull. And uh, I wanted to be where the action was. And so, you know, and you're also, I would assume you're connected to the city or, you, you know, you're not that far from the city, right? If you're, li- you're living in the woods, but you have a connection to. Like, yeah, there's... New York. I mean, you know, my family's all from here and I was born here and like I lived here until I was three. So it got in there somehow. And it was uh, a kind of a wild time. My parents were hippies. And so we lived in Greenwich Village when. At the you know, at, at the height of the hippie era or whatever. So it's, I mean, even though I don't really remember much from that, I'm yeah. I'm sure it had its impact. You know. Uh, did you hear Pete Seeger died today? 
Yes, I did hear that. Who but, was uh, very influential, like in that New York, New York in the <clears throat> excuse me, like thirties, forties, you know, with Woody Guthrie and it, it, what was the birth of Bob Dylan to some extent, right? Yeah, so that like basically in that neck of the woods is where I was born, but kind of after the fact, 1969, but still a pretty freaky situation, I would say. Yeah, sure. And obviously, New York is a very different. Uh, the city, particularly, is a very different place now than it was, you know, in the mid '70s and into the '80s. Yeah, like if I go over to, uh, or if I go to Grand Village now, like it looks basically like, um, I don't know, the Castro, or it's it's pretty it's pretty yuppified. Yeah, and it was and it was amusing to me because I actually there was like this old gay couple and they were walking and. One dude says to the other, he's like, he saw me, and I think I look kind of raggedy, or like I just come from working on a mural or something. Yeah. And he look, and he says, one guy says to the other, he was like, well, oh, I really miss the art in this neighborhood, you know, like just lament, like, and I just I was like, oh, I wonder they probably have like lived here for a while and saw the neighborhood change a lot, you know, and it was just this like kind of a sigh, where I was like, oh yeah, it's all gone now, you know. Yeah. And, um, it's sad like, well, to see that when it's when a place is, you know, brightly colored or you know, there's a a sense of creativity in an area, and then it just all turns sort of like pale gray or like a shitty beige tone everywhere. It's just like money, and it's boring, and there's no life there. You know, but it, 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 it the, is lamentable. <laughs> on the the flip side of that coin, it's probably safer. Like, there's probably less threat of being robbed. But, you know, who's to say which one is better? Yeah, I no one wants to get robbed. I mean, yeah. I've had a gun stuck in my face before. It's not really? fun, but how yeah. in 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 New York or in San Francisco? In Baltimore. In Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore is rough as shit, right? Yeah, it's a rough town. So it's a very rough place. Having hippie parents, was that sort of a precipice for being able to live a, a kind of creative, different lifestyle? You know, like, uh, maybe, was there a, a sense of freedom that you had growing up that would would tend to lead you towards a creative lifestyle? Well, my mom's an artist. Also, like, yeah, so the lifestyle was there, you know, like, it was there was always people coming and going from traveling all over the world, and I, I really liked that part, and... Everyone's run around naked, and that was cool. And you know what's so, funny? As you're telling me this, we had um, we had Cleon Peterson on the show, and he he is basically is told the same story as you. Like had a very similar upbringing from what we've heard so far, and I find that his artwork is really aggressive, and I find that there's some of your artwork that's fairly aggressive as well maybe i've been trying to come up with the adjectives to use for how i wanted this to describe your work there's um a sort of sexual aggressiveness maybe and this is only perception i think that what would be like a general societal perception not in like a like i'm being judgmental type of way and i find that in cleon's work too who also grew up with uh what he what he described as hippie parents um there's like an aggressive like almost uh like an insinuated violence maybe you don't always see it but like it there's like the it feels like the moment before violence is about to happen a lot of times and i find that in both your works it's kind of just i i picked that like similarity up just now it seems interesting well 
I mean, I don't. I'm not quite sure where that comes from. I, I wouldn't call myself like an angry person who, you know, um, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I actually 100% agree with you, and I think it's, but I do have anger around certain things, and so like when I, it's actually behaviors like that that really bother me in sure. people, and so I, I think I tend to like paint it as ugly as it looks. Yeah, and it's and and I say that in a way. Um, I think your paintings are beautiful, but at the same time, I just, I recently told somebody that like I wanted to start painting ugly things, but I didn't mean that I wanted the things to be ugly as opposed to like a pretty poppy thing, but still painted well. Do you know what I mean? And I, I feel like I get that from your work sometimes. Like you are, I see you kind of pick out some of the, what feels like the dregs of society. Maybe like... I, I told Lex before we started that some of your work tends to make me feel uncomfortable, which I enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm following a, a long line of people who have made uncomfortable work, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the stuff that I was always like. I was even thinking about a Iggy Pop song, and I played it last night. It's a Stooges song, Death Trip, and I was like, God, I remember the first time I heard that song. And I was like, I can't even listen to this, but I got to play it again. Why is that? You know, like, and it became one of my favorite Stooges songs because it's just like unrelentingly aggressive. Yeah. And, and I think that's what I loved about it. There was just like, it just wouldn't stop. And, and I, and it, and it hurt to listen to it, but I kept wanting to do it over and over again. So what, I don't know what the fuck that says. But. You know, I've been, I went back and was playing some Slayer recently and I, I, listen to slayer a ton as a young teenager and now it kind of gives me that same feeling like i kind of want to listen to it but it really it makes me feel like super uncomfortable now from a different <laughs> like as an adult for some reason i don't know what i don't know what changed i guess just perception yeah i stopped listening to slayer too just dif <laughs> just different reasons though i can't stand the well if if the guitars like there's a there's a difference between like an aggressive band that has like really good technical guitars and Slayer's aggressive with not technical good guitar, so it's like cringing. See, I always, I always perceived That's, it. That as, was why I liked Slayer. <laughs> I know. So I always thought I was like, wow, they're so angry and like morbid, but there's like, the, I always felt like there was a little bit of a technicality, but. That's coming from a layman, a layperson. Yeah. Well, they, uh, I guess when you play that fast, you lose some some sort of technique, and that was their whole getup, like to play fast and aggressive. Yeah, I just liked the morbid lyrics. Same with the Misfits. Like I, but I, I just went on a Misfits like, uh, and and Danzig rage just recently. Just played like thirty YouTube videos in a row. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I've been listening to some Misfits again too recently for some reason. You know, we played it on the podcast recently, but there is this girl who did a ukulele version of of a Misfits song. I is it Vampira? Uh, no, it's not it. Um, it's one of the songs from that album. Uh, I forget what it is, but I put it on the podcast, and it's on my Facebook. It's Astro Zombies? Astro Zombies. She does a beautiful <laughs> ukulele version of Astro Zombies that's as good as the Misfits version, yeah. if you ask me. So... <laughs> <laughs> You also play music too, right? Yeah, I, I play the music. Is uh, are you are you still with under Pale Horse? That's a, your band's name, right? No, that's a old band. Name? We we that's an old one. We've been uh, defunct for several years now. I would say. Um, no, I started a recording project and with a friend of mine, probably like 
10 years ago. Kind of around the same time Pale Horse started. We lived in this house on Sanchez Street. And uh, we had, like, it was a ground floor apartment. And it was one of those cool old punk rock houses that a bunch of people had lived in over the years. Like, Chris Johansson lived there one time. John Dwyer lived there one time. Maya Hayek lived there. That was her place. I lived there. And I lived there with her ex-boyfriend. And our front hallway was just packed with instruments. We just... uh, Mission Records was this record store we went to all the time, and they had this shitty piano that the cats had peed all over and was stinky, <laughs> and they wanted to get rid of it. Hey, is that, like, is that that record store that they did like a little like internet documentary show on? Fuck, I don't know. Um, I'll have to find was, that. I'll send it to you. Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. But it was a cool... It, I mean, it was a horrible record store. They didn't have a great... <laughs> A great selection, but they had uh, a lot of bands, a lot of local bands played at the back, so that's why it was fun to hang out there. And uh, but they uh, they had this crappy piano, so they gave it to us. My roommate and I like put it on a dolly and some skateboards and pushed it up 16th Street. Rad. And uh, and then just pushed it in our front door, and and then basically once the piano was there, instruments just kind of started to like accumulate around it. Uh-huh. And I. I got like a really kind of a like a stereo mic uh, micro or a tape recorder. I'm sorry, and uh, and I just started experimenting with recording stuff. And yeah. then I was like, I want to learn how to play music. So I started inviting musicians over on Saturdays, and I would just record everything. And a lot of the people I invited over like to do improvisational music or like. Uh, and instrumentals, and I I didn't know really how to play music, so I'd be like, what you know, what chord is that? What key is that in? And my friend would be like, I don't know, and I'd hit record <laughs> and just like hope it went for the you know that it went for the best, and that was a great way to learn. But anyway, uh, the band I'm in, Strawberry Smog, kind of grew out of that. Nice. And do you still have all those recordings? Did you ever put yeah. that stuff out? I have like a whole box full of all of it. Yeah, That's it's rad. in a safe safe place for uh, the future. I uh I, I was just talking a few episodes ago. I was talking about how I'm I'm super interested in like improvisational jazz now, which I would have never expected if you told me that like five years ago or like me in my twenties. I would have been like, "What the fuck are you talking about, improvisational <laughs> jazz?" But now, like, I listen to it all the time, and some of those like just and I I noticed when I was young, I liked like jam rock sort of shit, like long ass jam rock solos. And now I realize that a lot of that stuff comes out of like the jazz improvisation. And before I don't know what why it took me so long to sort of grow into all those dudes were a lot of those rockers were way into that shit. Yeah, it's and now they were just trying to do the same thing with with rock and roll. Do you feel like and I I made the uh, analogy recently that those that improvisational jazz is a lot like is like the abstract art of music. And it feels like that. I like that idea of people saying like, fuck the rules, like fuck being boxed into like a certain structure or pattern that you have to fit into. Right. Well, also it's the thing with improvisational music. I I think it's, you're way more inclined to like have a moment of incredible brilliance, but you could all, it could also be kind of boring. So there's always (laughs) like this thing, this fire under your ass to uh, perform well, but then it's also you're trying the the improv, like the fear part and the improv and the unknown part. I think is where like the real magic comes in. Like, yeah, I don't know what's about to fucking come out of my instrument. You know, yeah, I, hope, I hope it's good. 
and it may suck, but I'm going to fucking give it a chance, you know, and like step out onto the platform and do it. And, and maybe you have a moment of brilliance. Maybe you don't. I, I think it's very much attuned with like, um, a lot of like polytheistic religions tend to like, uh, like voodoo tends to have this thing where you get the, you get the, the rhythm go and you get the fucking, the party started and you hope for the inspiration. So the, you know, and the way, the way a God will contact people is actually like kind of possess or they call it a, you're, you would be considered a horse and the God would be considered a horseman and the God will like ride your shoulders basically. Yeah. Take over your body and impart some info, be, you know, bless the situation, bless the party, bless the ceremony, and also maybe impart some wisdom. Right. Usually the person that's being possessed has no knowledge of what's happening. Um, Which sounds a lot like, that's important. Sounds a lot like psychedelics as well. Well, I think anything that like can, I think it all comes back to the same thing where it's trying to get into that place where you are the best vessel to receive information from beyond basically right. like that's where like where inspiration comes from you know and it's or do you and th even like the idea of getting in tune with a group of people like all working together with like a common cause and goal to like find like a sound that is mutually beneficial to everybody there's something there's some sort of energetic power in that as well too i, I in my experience I think the deep one with that is listening. You know, that like, if anything, if I learned anything from those experiments was to not just play over stuff, to just stop and listen and see where your part is. And and, and I felt like uh, that was a really good lesson to like, you just don't, you don't have to fill the air. You just like take a moment in the air, you know? Yeah. And that, I feel like that's not, that's something that maybe painters don't necessarily get the opportunity to experience necessarily maybe in groups like i've always thought about this like how the creative process in a group like with it with, for musicians or in a band like there's a different type of experience i think as opposed to um total self-creation you know which we find mostly from painters do you do you mix it you know so okay like do you, do you find like learning uh, music and working with people changed your art making process or vice versa did did you bring in like the anything that like the way that you create paintings you know like we talk about spontaneity or um, improvisation do you paint that way you know there's 30 questions that you could answer if you feel like <laughs> um, I I tend to not really plan things out when I if even a large painting I'll do like a rough sketch on the wood and uh, so I'm not really a big planner, so I've always liked that aspect of it. And then I'll get like a rough idea, you know, like have a base of like what I'm going to paint. I know what I'm going to paint like idea wise. And then I'll have like a rough sort of composition. And from there, it's all improv, I would say. Yeah. And, you know, that's that seems to be where the fun is. But as somebody who, you know, here the reason I ask some of you, a majority of your work is figurative based right um, yeah i know you take the figure beyond a, a a you know a standalone portrait the a stereotypical like traditional portrait but you utilize a lot of those like traditional portraiture techniques so like 
as you're making, let's say you're, you know, you've, I've seen, you've done portraits of people, you know, or people around you, like your friends or whatever, or, uh, you know, you have to, there's moments where you actually have to do the planning. Do you find like, like those are a little more stressful than say, uh, what I would describe as some of the more like psychedelic work. I'm just using that term to be descriptive in terms of like being colorful and, uh, like you do a lot of figurative work that's built up of, uh, like plant matter or different things to build up skin. It's, it, but then at the same time, you, you do have a, a straightforward portraiture style as well. I'm definitely a traditionalist in that, in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some, that's, that's merely just getting people to like sit for you. And, and like, there's certain things I, I, I don't always want to paint like, um, some mind blower, like, color explosion I, I like to like reduce it down to like really basic traditional portraits sometimes uh-huh. just to keep my feet on the ground and um so from that aspect yeah like i suppose that part's planned but i have no idea like what it's going to necessarily look like you yeah. know like and often i'm not actually a particularly good portrait artist uh, a lot of times i can't get it to look like the person um the more i know a person the easier it gets like if i if I know a person pretty well, like I can usually draw them pretty well. If, if it's upon the first meeting, it's a crapshoot. Like it may be good, it may not look a fucking thing like you. <laughs> yeah, that's the. And I like I like talking with portraiture artists. And I say that in a the most uh, nicest way. It sounds almost like you draw cartoon characters on the boardwalk when you say that. Because I'm a I'm a portrait artist as well. And it's funny how just a slight difference in like eye shape or like if the ear is a little high or low, it, it completely changes what a, what a person looks like. People don't realize how similar everybody looks with just very minor differentials in between like where their eyes and nose and mouth are. It doesn't take much to change and look completely different. I, I notice the more concerned I am with what, how the uh, subject is going to perceive the portrait, the more the more I'm like concerned with like if they're going to like it or not, the <laughs> shittier the fucking painting is. That's just, yeah. that's, if I don't care, it usually comes out just fine. Isn't that weird? That's, I talk about that a lot in terms of like, uh, commissioned work. Like if you get commissioned to do a piece, like all of a sudden there's this new stress added to it that you have to at least please one person. Like yeah. It, if you're making the work for yourself, you just have to please yourself. And if somebody wants to buy it extra, you know, added bonus. Yeah, exactly. But when you have money riding on it like that, and like they could just be like, "Yeah, no, nah, I don't like it." <laughs> like, like, ah, oh, man, I just spent all that time. So, I mean, that that is a stress. Yeah. Have you been? Uh, I I was I was looking at some of um, what seemed to be slightly stripped down ink drawings that you've been doing. Are those newer or? Uh, the last year, um, yeah, I've done a lot of uh, just pencil and ink drawings. Uh, that's actually these guys that I'm doing the show with here mud guts are uh, putting out a book for me and that has most of those drawings in it. Awesome. There's some connect. Yeah. And I want to talk about your show too. Um, there, I, I feel like there, there's a, I see there's like almost like Renaissance connection. I, I get this weird old feeling about your work and not in that it, it necessarily looks like anything from a time period specifically, but it feels like it's old and kind of new at the same time. Is that something you recognize yourself or implement? Uh, 100%. I, mean, I would say like the books that influenced me growing up or the art was sure. I loved like a lot of the Renaissance paintings. I love Holbein. I like, I like, I like really like the 
northern renaissance like where people would come down from like scandinavia or germany and 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 go to italy and like learn and like there was like this kind of weird mix between medieval art ending and renaissance beginning and you can and that's kind of like one of my favorite time periods just visually and um like grunewald like oh my god like uh anyway i think a lot of those artists have like i saw a lot of those sketches when i was young and the paintings i always loved but the sketches i thought were mind-blowing just like they're because they were like unpretentious they were really like i'm just trying to get this right you know like so a lot of times like these half done sketches by you know these masters are what really appealed to me as opposed to like their finished work yeah and i see that with with these pieces that you're doing i like them a lot i i feel like there seems to be um an honesty you know like i so with painting sometimes it's I and I say this quite a bit. Like it's it's about like tricking somebody sometimes. You know, you're, you're like convincing them something is three dimensional. You're convincing them like some world exists that isn't there. But it, it seems like sometimes we just strip down like line work. Like even a a, a simple sketch uh, out of somebody's sketchbook can have just as much power as like a big like eight foot canvas sometimes. For me, like, I think there was an accessibility to it where I was like, it, it, it was the good groundwork to begin practicing. Because it was like, when you see, like, some insane masterpiece of Botticelli or something like that, and you're just like, uh, I could never do that. <laughs> right. But then I but then I would see some sketches, and I'm like, I'm, I'm actually not too bad drawing the human figure. Maybe I could do that. And then so, like, that's, like, the, the door in, or, you know, like, that's the way into, like... Uh, a strong practice, I think, where you're like, oh, maybe I, I could do that, actually. I, I, it didn't seem like I could because I couldn't see the doorway in, but, like, for me, those sketches were the doorway of, like, well, I think I actually can do that. Right. Are you, are you using um, oils, and what, what mediums are you using when, when you are painting? I use acrylic. Yeah. I, I found that uh, I, I really like the smell of oils and stuff like that, but and I, I used them a lot when I was young, but... I think a lot of the chemicals and just sort of solvents and stuff really fuck with me over the years. And so I just, I don't mess with anything that really kind of gets under my skin in that way. Yeah. Um, so I found uh, a good technique to use acrylic that I, I feel like has like a good oil quality to it. So you just recently made the the move from San Francisco to New York? Uh, yeah. Recently, that's accurate, right? Yes, that is. How... Uh, how has that transition been? Obviously, you just if if you just got there recently, you landed in a shit snowstorm, right? Yeah, but I mean, I love the snow. I'm, yeah. I'm you know, used I grew to up it. on the East Coast. Yeah, sure. So I've missed it very badly. Um, yeah, I've really missed it. It seems like a lot of people are are saying that they're moving out of San Francisco. Yes, that is true. A lot of um, people going Los Angeles, Portland, New York. In your case. Yeah, any anywhere but. <laughs> was that a plan for you anyway to to get back to the East Coast? I mean, it's been on my mind um, for a few years now, but I would say, like, you know, I put up a pretty good fight in San Francisco for many years, trying to make it as an artist there, and it's very difficult, and it got worse over the years. I notice. Yeah. And for all the money that's coming into the city, like less and less people buy art. They're all young, and they don't even fucking know what art is, or like. There, you know, it's just sort of this monoculture coming in, and and there's, you know, I, I'm 
an older dude. I'm used to like being in a community where like young younger people come in. They're like, hey, I'm an artist, and I don't know. There's like a passing of the baton. Like uh-huh. people are like, are like, hey, I I like what you've done. Like, thanks for being around. I appreciate the information. You know, but like, there's kind of a new batch of young people coming in that don't, couldn't give a shit about the information. They don't care what I have to say. Or they yeah. don't care about art. So it's like. Which do I you can't. think? Do you think that has to do with the overstimulation of information that's unleashed on people now? Like, so when I know when I was young, I had to go out and search the art that I wanted to find and see, and that you know made sense to me. That like it was like you had to if you had to really invest some time and energy if you wanted that information, and now information is so immediate and direct. That maybe that appreciation has fallen to the wayside in a city like San Francisco. Possibly, it's like I. It's because it's not like young people across the board. I've met plenty of young people who are like fucking awesome and, and into art, and like sure. they the search for the stuff is the best part of it. Not like just having stuff land in your lap constantly. It's like there's no appreciation for it. Like the looking for something is the best part often and 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 i think artists tend to know that or like you know it's like i'm not satisfied when things just fall in my lap like but if i've been working my ass off and been searching and i and something finally comes to me like i appreciate it more and you know like even like with amoeba records or whatever like sure Amoeba's rad you know like if you could think of it it's probably there but they're there's even something about like a smaller record store where it's like you you know you have to search and I just I Louis C.K. actually talks about that stuff recently just like the dying of bookstores and the dying of record stores where it's like all the information's just there and how fucking boring is that you know it's just like <laughs> a conveyor belt of shit like headed towards your face you know like yeah. to consume and that's a bummer yeah and you know. Even even in terms of relationships, you know, like I was just up in the North County part of San Diego and there's like uh, like what would be, I guess, considered like the hipster record store of San Diego if uh, lose records, uh, which is like the one of the few places that had a large collection of records available and. Me and my wife used to drive up there every Sunday or, you know, or like every payday. So like every two weeks and go buy new CDs, like as something to go do and like, you know, have a nice drive up the coast, have lunch, buy some records and then listen to them on the drive back home. And now everything's so immediate, like even you lose out on some of that stuff. But that's not to say, you know, this is all like glass half empty. Like I just was able to get, you know like 30 songs last night that I haven't listened to in forever and was stoked to just sit down and listen to songs for a while. So I don't want to be too you negative, know. right? Well, and also, yeah, like I, whatever, I have an iPod. It has like <laughs> two, two months worth of music on it. Like I'm not going to shake a stick at that thing, <laughs> yeah. but, but I will say this when it dies, I'm fucking shit out of a whole library of music because I yeah. don't have it backed up on anything. So it's like, I don't know. It's the, the immediacy of things is there, but then the shelf life is also shorter. Yeah. I feel like. So you have, um, your first New York solo show coming up. Yes. In just a couple days, right? A few days on on Friday. Cool. This show will be out on Thursday, so it'll be out in time to promote. Oh, wonderful. That's great. Um, 
you, the show's called Portraits and Pornography, and it's at uh, Mudguts Gallery. That's a hilarious name, by the way. <laughs> Both your title <laughs> and the name of the gallery. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a lot to swallow. <laughs> Mudguts. So obviously, we've talked a bit about portraiture and um, sort of some of the the sexual stuff. Is is that is that what you have planned for the show? Can we talk about some of the stuff you got, like some of the work that you have that you're showing? Sure. Um, well, I have about a roughly a hundred, maybe like ninety drawings oh, of wow. of that are that. Basically, I'm going to show all the drawings that are going into the book. The, I mean, I edited the book down a bit, so it's not all the drawings, but it's laid out really well. Um, I'm super happy. My friend Eric Lyle wrote um, a little foreword f- for the book, and and it just kind of recounts, because I have really old portraits in there, too, so it's kind of a, a wide range. Some of it's really new. Most of it's new, but then I actually have some portraits I did from, like, 1993 mm-hmm. when I was in a, in a rehab, and... And it's like all these weird dark times, and like, and so to see this sort of lineage of like, they're pretty dark drawings. I would say it's, it's, it's not the f- funnest of shows, um, but it, there's like this long line of like sort of of damage and like, and I guess like that's what I really like is like the the things that got lost and over the years, the people that got lost. They're, the loneliness it's it's really about like it's really about loneliness i would say and disconnect that's in again that sort of leads back to what i was saying about the sort of discomfort level that i got from some of the work like uh there te- there's uh there's a look in a lot of the figures eyes of a sort of disconnect like a, a loneliness or fear and even if they're in like a lot of times your paintings have groupings of people like it's not unless you know there's there's groups of people interacting having sex sometimes i like the idea of the um the gender ambiguousness of some of the work like do you do you mix up uh you mix up genders a lot too right like uh yes yeah, so, i mean not all the time but it, it, maybe back it, in back in the, that time period maybe when i started seeing your work I, I did do that a lot i think i don't know if i've kind of veered away from it or, or it was just something i i it's certainly not something I've like thrown out or as as a tool to use because I do like that as well, um, you know. And that's also something like living in San Francisco and and you know that was something that was super cool about that city, and it still is. I mean, it's but I really liked that people would be like, "No, I'm not a boy or a girl," you know, like, and people would like or what seemed like a boy to me would be like, please call me she, you know? And like, I really liked having to like learn about what, how more fluid gender is than I thought it was. And like, uh-huh. so I, I think that that was always, that's an important lesson and that I learned in San Francisco. That's a good point too, in terms of like, from a viewer standpoint, it seems like your work a lot of times is showing a particular lifestyle that maybe the general population isn't used to seeing. So like, you know, like I think of like a stereotypical like office worker walking into like a dingy apartment where everybody's doing heroin or opium or something to like what that type of shocking environment would be to like a random person who's used to like nine to five, like daily white bread type of lifestyle. Like I feel like there's almost that sort of... uh and not that I come from either one of those particular areas, but 
that like I, I feel like there's that sort of communication with the viewer on some level, at least from my perspective. I think also that's a, another thing about art that uh, people enjoy about it is a lot of times artists are going to places and checking things out so that you don't have to. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like you can, the artist will go do the fucking dirty work and report back with whatever information they have, you know, through music or painting or writing or whatever. And then the person who is too afraid or not interested in, in actually going and living that lifestyle can kind of learn about it, you know, Yeah. through and through the eyes of somebody who lived it, you know? So I think that's also important. So I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that that helps create, you know, a broader understanding of the world. And in fact, a lot of books and art that were like that actually prompted me to go discover those things for better or worse. Yeah. And so you talk about you, you mentioned like having dark times in like the in the early 90s. So it, was that the sort of precipice for the type of work that you began making? Were, let me let me rephrase. Were you making different types of art before, like, running into a dark period? You said you, you did rehab and those sorts of things. Are you, are you cool <laughs> with talking about that? Or we yeah, don't have yeah, to yeah. if you don't want to. I, no, I know I it's kind of personal totally and we fun. don't know each other. It's, it's totally fine. Yeah. It's good radio. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the woods mostly in Connecticut, and and I've been, but that's not entirely true. Like, when I was very young, my parents were, you know, because of their hippiedom, there was a lot of drugs around, and they had a lot of friends overdose and die when I was young, and and, and they would never want to really tell me, you know, like, and then, you know, they'd be at a party and kind of buzzed and be like, poor old Ralph, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'd be like, yeah. Ralph's dead, you know, like, and uh, and that was kind of a typical thing in my household is like people would just kind of die and like whenever my friends my parents friends died it was usually because of drug overdoses i mean they were young at the time so it wasn't yeah. like people were having heart attacks right um and so that was kind of i wouldn't say like i was used to it but it was something that i considered sort of normal um so i don't know by the time i started getting into like harder drugs and stuff like you know and i'd had plenty of warnings like you know, I'd seen people go down very hard, and it's just one of those things. Being a cocky young person, like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Sure, you and, it, and it, yeah, and it totally did. And and I, I, you know, I went down fucking hard, and it's a miracle. I, I mean, being a fucking a junkie in, ba you know, inner city Baltimore is is a eye opener to say the least. And uh, the, I saw, I definitely saw some some wild shit. What I would say that, like, the best thing that came out of that is I really like knowing that, it, like, as a human, if you just keep letting yourself go down and down, there's nothing to stop you. There's no reason for it to stop until you're dead. And and that was, like, a real good lesson. You know, I think a lot of people, I was like, because I, I think some part of me was just like, let's just see how far it can go. And and it can go really far down. And And that was maybe not a bad thing to learn. Yeah. It seems like you you must have had some sort of um, uh, self realization or you know some idea of self. I feel like this hap with with people who spend a lot of time making things. I feel like there's some sort of self introspection, a little bit more connection to self that you know. I know 
I know a lot of drug addicts, and I know that there's uh, sort of a disconnecting from self. And I include myself in that. You know, I have very high addictive personality. And I, I understand, like, the escaping from self, but there's something about being an artist. And it sounds so pretentious saying it now, and I don't mean it that way. But, like, like for instance, I would take a lot of psychedelics, and I would always have uh, a, a strong connection with who I was without the psychedelics, while at the same time experience, experiencing them. And I feel like part of that has to do with spending a lot of time alone creating things. Well, I mean, I, I did a lot of experimenting with psychedelics, I think, kind of like more in high school and stuff. And, yeah, and that's I mean, mean, I'm still not opposed to them. I, but it's been a long time since I've ever taken some LSD. And uh, but, you know, like even little bits of mushrooms and stuff like that, I still find helpful, like tiny amounts of things I think are kind of, you know, kind of nice still. But not like my raging days when I was younger and would just see how much I could take. Yeah. And and I think there was something about that though that like I I basically topped out. Like I, I was like totally blown away but all these amazing connections, but then you would come down and like feel kinda empty. And I think that's in the end I I just wanted to feel good. I just wanted like I never felt good and and I think that's why I turned more to harder drugs because and I knew I knew I was fucking around with the wrong things too because it was like I remember the first time I did a particular thing and I was like, oh my God, that's what everyone's talking about. I, now I can't not, now I can't not have this information. Now I know. <laughs> and, and it really was Pandora's box in that way. Like once I fucking opened it, it, to be honest, it's like, will always be open my entire life to some degree. Like, you know what I mean? I always have that information. And yeah. that's just something to like. I wouldn't call it a burden to bear. It's everybody has their own burden to bear, but you know, that's mine to always kind of keep vigilant of that or like keep that in perspective. So did the, did the rehab process work out for you? You know, like a lot of people <laughs> find like, it's a really a pain in the ass, you know, I'm like, I'm like, which one? <laughs> I, you, I know that's why I could hear it in that laugh. Like how silly my question must've sounded to you. Um, yeah, I mean, for that moment, I mean, you know, every little bit of information coming in that's helpful or anything that's like, if you're on a run and, and you're, you're getting some time off of that, like, well, then, yeah, that's good. You know, like yeah. anything that like prolongs your death a little longer, you know, so that you can kind of maybe decide you want to live. I don't know. Like it all. So like I would never say like any of it was worthless, you know. Yeah. Salvation Army, I think they kind of suck, but I think they're kind of a scummy, scummy church, but. Besides that, like, you know, yeah. I, they they have, like, these weird uh, things called ARCs, which are adult rehabilitation centers, and it's really a racket. Like, they're a church, so they don't pay taxes. Everything that they get is donations. Yeah. And then they have people work for free for 40 hours a week, and then they give them room, room and board, but they also take... Uh, GA and food stamps from them. So the in a building that's free to them, no taxes being paid, all this all this stuff that they sell in their stores coming in, all free. Free worker. I mean, it's just so scummy. And then like, you know, the higher up people are like making piles of cash. It's yeah. sleazy. That's what you see with every almost every entity that is posed as helping something always has a CD underbelly, no matter mm -hmm. what. Even like it's a fuck we just did this this twenty four hour podcast uh, 
last week to raise money for our buddy, a fellow podcaster who lost his home to fire. And even though, like, we helped, we raised like over nine thousand dollars to mm-hmm. to help him get back on its feet. And even though it was all out of the kindness of our hearts, there's part of it that it's like a marketing thing a little bit too. Like we're yeah. showing people like that we did this thing. Like it's not it's not just like here's some money like where nobody hears about it, you know? So like yeah. it's it even has a little bit of taintedness to just even doing the most like selfless like good thing for somebody still has a little bit of selfishness if you like dig in there and look unfortunately I don't, to some degree yeah I, I i see that and it's really hard to be completely selfless like i don't really know how to do that um, yeah i don't know if anybody does <laughs> yeah it's maybe a, like a nice goal but i also don't think there's anything wrong with the community community uh supporting itself you know like yeah exactly. I, I think that we do need each other and like Every, I don't know, like, I, it's, we don't live in bubbles, and, and I do think it's important to, like, in the end, like, is that bad for him if you got some, like, press over it, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's it's good, you gotta look at it like, is it hurting anybody, or is it good for everybody? Yeah, it's like, yeah. it, it seems like it's, if that's actually seems good for everybody, and everybody can take a little bit of, a little bit of something from that, then like, that's awesome. Then that's good for the community. Yeah, sure. And that's what was the biggest, uh, the greatest thing for me was seeing a community come together and support one of its own without the help of like a big brother, without the help of like government assistance, like somebody who, who lost everything or even like he happened to not have homeowners insurance or the, or a renter's insurance. So he got, he lost everything. You know, he, he didn't have to pay, you know, you didn't have to pay somebody every month so that he could be supported. He had a group of people who were able to come together and be like, look, you're down on your luck. We can help you out. And we could all do that with each other all the time. If we're, But we have to be willing to know each other, be a part of a community, Yeah, it seems like. Yeah, and you have to be willing to ask in times, like, where you need it, you know? It's like... Yeah, that's, that's, that's hard that's for also a lot a big of people. Part. Especially in, like, a society where we're supposed to be the best. You know, this capitalistic society where we're we're competing with one another. We don't want to let anybody know we're down on our luck. We want to, like, make the perception be that, like, everything is peachy keen when, you know, you might be struggling with something. Well, and, and unfortunately, in such a predatory society, like, like a sign of weakness like that is not, is, uh, it, uh, incites aggression it does often as opposed to like compassion you know it's like it's like a, a pecking order or something like oh there's a sick one in the herd we gotta thin that one like where it's like in a really scummy capitalist sort of bullshit you know where it's like your whole it's like and it's in my brain i think it's in a lot of americans brains who you know growing up in a capitalist society where your whole worth as a person is based on your fucking income and it's just it's demented it's a demented way of thinking it's really sick and yet and it's so pervasive like it gets in there when i'm broke i feel way more like a loser than when i'm not you know sure. and it's like i and i fucking hate it i hate that and to like deprogram that from my mind in a in a society that does not want you to be deprogrammed from that is yeah it's like an uphill swim yeah, it's crazy. I imagine everybody beats themselves up. Like, I know that when I hit, like, zero in my bank account and shit does not look good, I feel like, although I've sold hundreds and hundreds of paintings, I feel like nobody likes my art. 
Like none of my friends like me. Like everything is terrible. Like and yeah, it's, it, it's it's all in my own head. Like suddenly to feel like all the work you've done is for naught simply because you're fucking broke that week or whatever. You know, yeah. it's like that's ridiculous. That's psychotic. And I and it's like that happens to me all the time. And it, and it's like as much as and it's like I hate money, but I need it. So it's like I I'm always in this like weird. Money is a really weird subject to me. I'm all, I'm fascinated with this black magic thing that we call money, where it's like everybody just believes this piece of paper means yeah. this, and it's like no, it doesn't. <laughs> Have you heard about Bitcoin? Uh, I, I'm not that familiar with even what it is. I'm like, not super up to date on what it is either. I know it's like a PayPal type of system. It's like an internet currency, but it's supposed to be all like. Uh, uh, not undercut what would be uh, transparent it's all transparent so everybody could possibly particularly in like a certain subsection uh, can see all the transactions that are happening yeah it's, so you then, always um, know who owns what and it has an immediate inflate <clears throat> inflation cap so once the algorithm finishes that's all the bitcoins that are going to be in circulation so it's up to but you know what what happened just last night the 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 head of bitcoin the guy who was like one of the head dudes got arrested for money laundering <laughs> last night of course yeah like 100 million or something yeah yeah well, was, he's in jail now that's fucking that's fucking crazy yeah so that's what happens when you try to create a new form of currency that's different from the dollar standard uh -huh. you know the US dollar you go to jail. That's it. Seems to yeah, be yeah. What like, happened? This that's, that's, this seems like it's working. We're gonna throw you in jail. <laughs> yeah, or people get greedy. This is a great idea. Uh, too good. <laughs> yeah. So again, your show's coming up uh, this Friday. What is the date? The first? Is it the first? No, no, it's 30, the thirty first. Thirty first. Huh? Yeah, yeah. At Mudguts Gallery, do you have? Um, some internet sites where people can go find you and see your stuff. I know you're on the Facebooks. Do you do the Instagram or any of the other? No, I I don't have a I have a dumb phone. Um, <laughs> so I don't. No, I don't. I guess yeah. Like I I think they'll probably post some stuff on Facebook. Probably not immediately, just to like keep people from uh being like, oh well, I saw the show. I'm not gonna go over and see it in person. Right. You know, probably not like. Maybe post a couple of things, but eventually, you know, like, I'll probably post everything once the show is, like, under, you know, getting ready to come down, that kind of stuff. Okay, it looks like um, mudguts.com is uh -huh. the website. I it's, believe that is it. It's uh, yes. two Ds, M-U-D-D, guts.com. Guts. And uh, tell me about the book real quick. Is the book finished? Uh, yes, it's actually being printed as we speak. Um so we should have it by Thursday. I was hoping to get some to the L.A. Art Fair, but that may not happen. Um, but that's fine. I, we'll have them for the opening. Beautiful. All right, Kyle, I want to um, thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with us. It was awesome to uh, get to know oh, you yeah. a little bit better. Yeah, thanks a lot for asking me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, Mor uh, Morgan and I listened to some podcasts the other day. Oh, right. And I'm, I want to get Morgan on. She's super. She's your studio mate, you said? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's totally down. I met her in um, in San Diego. A shit, a long, it feels like at least five years ago now. She did a Kerouac drawing that I want bad. But it was like <laughs> in her sketchbooks that she was letting people look at. 
like in a display. I was like, I want that one. Make it. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so yeah, hopefully we'll get her on soon. Um, but yeah, again, thank you very much, and I yeah. look forward to to seeing the show and. Uh, Hopefully I can pick up a copy of the book as well. I look forward to seeing that. If you want to turn your camera on, we could do internet dap and call this thing done. So what are we doing? What's what's happening? I'm just going to give you some knuckles right here in internet. Ah, uh, knuckles. Yeah. All right, brother. Thank you very much. Live long and prosper. All right. You too, brother. Late. Bye. Nice. All right. So that was Kyle Ranson. Good conversation. Yeah. Funny guy. Yeah, he was pretty funny. Reminds me a lot of Cleon. Yeah. Maybe not as dark personality-wise, but no, they, I, they seem to have very similar stories. They do, and his their work his, doesn't look alike, no, but it has it goes over that similar certain topics. element, though. Uh huh. Like, um, yeah, just like you said, like it's aggressive, sexually aggressive, and then Cleon's is violently aggressive. Yeah. So uh, yeah, guys, go uh, if you're in New York, go check out his show this Friday. <clears throat> um, I also have a show coming up in, I guess it'll be up on Thursday, the day the this episode comes out. Uh, I'm in a group show of still life paintings at Gallery 16 in Montreal. If you're uh, one of my French-Canadian friends, or what's the other Canadian, just Anglo-Canadian? Anglo-Canadian friends, who, my non-French-speaking Canadian friends. Go out, check out that show if, uh, if you're in the area. It's... Uh, the title is in French, and I don't feel like saying it. My buddy Omen, who was who's been on the show, he curated it. <coughs> um, and I guess that's it. Make sure you go follow the podcast at Live Free Podcast. Follow producer Lex at producer Lex, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, you can follow me at Mike Maxwell Art on everything. Uh, you feel good about it? Yeah, it's right. good. Thanks, Lex. All right, no problem. Baby, 